results. And one of the key things I've seen with organisations I've had the privilege to work with this year is that when we start to align our work schedule with our biology, our productivity increases. Hi, I'm Julie Hyde, and I'm passionate about inspiring leaders to step up and lead and be powerful role models for those around them. My guests are all doing just that, and I ask them to share how they are making it count and how they have created their success. I can't wait to share their amazing stories with you. With me today for the third episode in our employee retention series, I have asked Dr. Christy Goodwin to come back and chat to us about how we can support our employees' mental well-being, which is something that is incredibly important for so many reasons, including overall well-being in the workplace. So welcome back, Christy. Thank you for having me, Julie. It's great to be here. Pleasure. And of course, we can't just solely focus on, um, you know, mental well-being in the workplace anymore. We need to approach this holistically, particularly in our digital world, which we're going to talk about. So some background about Dr. Christy. I mean, she's been on the podcast before, so um, you may have already tuned in, but Dr. Christy is one of Australia's leading digital wellbeing and productivity speakers. She helps organisations understand the impact technology is having on employees' wellbeing, physical health and productivity, and shares brain-based hacks for peak performance in a digital age. Now, she's my absolute go-to for tips to avoid burnout and understand how our tech habits are impacting our life. Hence, I wanted to bring her back for this really important chat. So I'm going to jump straight into it. From your work, I know you've been doing extensive work across many organisations, what are you seeing are the main problems in this space and how do you think that this is impacting employee retention And also, I think eventually acquisition as well. I totally agree um, with that two-pronged issue, that it's an issue currently facing organisations and it's a future problem if organisations aren't on the front foot and applying really pragmatic strategies to tackle what I'm calling digital burnout. I think most people um, innately know that their digital habits and behaviours have perhaps slipped into the the dangerous, unproductive, stressful um, territory. And I think there's three chief reasons why we're seeing that. The first one is because during the pandemic, um, our digital load has increased exponentially. We've got significant research data that tells us that our use of emails, our daily screen time, a study recently published suggested that the average adult was spending 13.28 hours per day on digital devices during lockdown periods. So over 50% of our day has been tethered to screens, both professionally and personally as well. Um, I mean, I don't know about you, Julie, but I know my inbox has certainly been bulging um, during the the pandemic. Um, And Microsoft um, did some really fascinating research and they actually found that in February 2021, Microsoft users sent and received 40.6 billion more emails than they did in February the year before. So it wasn't a cumulative total. It was just from month to month comparison. And so our digital load has increased. And because we've shifted to hybrid or sometimes even fully remote work, our reliance on digital technology has increased. Um, Communication tools like Slack and Teams saw a 45% increase in usage 
But what was really scary was that 42% of those interactions were taking place outside regular work hours. So I think the first thing that we're seeing that's attributed to this digital burnout is our, our load, our digital load has increased. The second thing that I think is related to this is because we are using digital technologies, because we have distributed teams, what this has perpetuated, it certainly didn't start it off, I think it was present before the pandemic, was what I'm calling the always on culture. We have got people who feel that they need to be um, signaling, whether it's virtue signaling, but giving tangible measures of their productivity. They want to see, be seen to be responsive. So they're replying to emails or Slack messages at all hours of the day and night. And this is creating a culture of what I'm calling digital presenteeism, people who are literally switched on and plugged in around the clock. So that's the second issue. And I think the third issue and again, this was not instigated by the pandemic, but our pandemic hybrid work arrangements have really um, fueled this, is that we are working in ways that is not aligned to our neurobiology. And what I mean by this is that we have started to adopt work practices that aren't designed the way our brain and body are biologically wired to operate. So for example, we are multitasking. Again, Microsoft research tells us what we already know, and that is that the preponderance of people on virtual calls are now multitasking. They're triaging their inbox, they're checking their team's channel, they're doing other tasks, and our brain physiologically cannot multitask. We are working in marathons as opposed to working in, in sprints. You know, we've got hard evidence that tells us how long we can focus and pay attention, and yet we're trying to push the envelope constantly. Um, and so there's, I think, that, that superstorm of those three factors. Our digital load has increased. Um, we've, we've got or we've adopted or inherited this always-on culture, and we've adopted work practices that aren't aligned with how our brains and bodies are designed. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much sense. And those stats that you shared about people being on outside of what's classified as normal working hours, like that's 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 huge. It is. So a, a PwC study, and it was actually published earlier in 2021, so it would be interesting for that data to be um, see if it was corroborated later in the year because I actually have a hunch given anecdotal conversations I'm having with organisations at the moment that it would in fact be perhaps higher at the moment. Um, but earlier in the year, I think it was around April when this was published, around 37% of respondents said that they felt like they could switch off outside their working hours and make full use of their accrued leave, meaning that a significant proportion of us feel like we can't switch off. And this is, um, you know, creating a whole range of both mental wellbeing issues and also physical health issues. We know that if we're spending more and more time with technology, as we all are, both professionally and personally, there's a displacement effect. There's an opportunity cost. And we know we are not machines. We are not biologically designed to be plugged in, switched on and processing information around the clock. We actually need both a physical and a psychological break from our work. And that's really hard to do when you're now, I often say we're now living at work. We've moved into the office if we are working remotely for some of the time. And, and this causes a whole lot of, you know, it's digitally depleting to be on all the time. But another issue that we've often overlooked that I think is also fueling this sense of burnout and fatigue and a range of mental health issues is that when we are working at home, we're actually sending confused 
cognitive associations to our brain. So our brain is constantly scanning the environment for sensory cues, particularly what we see and hear. And all of a sudden, if my laptop's on the kitchen table or on the the kitchen bench, or I'm working in my bed, as I know some people have done from time to time, all of a sudden I'm sending really confused or what we call muddled associations to my brain. It's processing what I see and hear and smell and saying, hang on, this is associated with rest and and recovery as a place to relax and unwind. And all of a sudden I'm in my Excel spreadsheet or I'm in my inbox. And this is really depleting for the brain. Um, So there are things we can do to sort of counteract that. But I think those factors together are really having a, a damaging effect on our mental well-being. Wow, that really rings true for me because... We just touched on it before when we were talking in terms of I've just taken a break away for a week and um, got away to the country. And the benefit that that has done for me in terms of feeling really recharged and re-energised has been amazing because I I did. I let everyone know I'm going away. And initially those first couple of days, there was almost this guilt for not being on, on I should check, I should respond. But um, as I sort of got into the whole relaxation, of course, in terms of what I should be doing, I've just felt so much better and was able to be present in the moment that I should be present in rather than being there physically, but then thinking otherwise, which, you know, is obviously really depleting. And what you said before about you know, having a computer in your bed or even like on the couch um, because I've recently had surgery. So I've had to do a bit of that and it has impacted my sleep. And now that you say that, I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's could be why. Cause now my brain's confused. It's like, well, do you work here or do you sleep here? Like what's the deal? Yeah. And you're not the only person, what we're seeing in it, the research is still in its infancy here, but a lot of uh, employees have struggled with their sleep during the pandemic. And there can be some, you know, anxiety or mental health issues closely related to that. So I'm not for a moment dismissing that. But another plausible explanation, and again, the research is trying to corroborate if this is the case, is that many people because we were spending inordinate amounts of time on devices, you know, our laptops, our tablets, our smartphones, what happened was our exposure to blue light increased, particularly at nighttime during the pandemic. And so our exposure to blue light not only delays the onset of sleep, meaning it takes us longer to actually fall asleep, but recent research also tells us that exposure to blue light in the 60 minutes before we go to sleep can also decrease the deep and REM sleep stages of our sleep cycle. So this is a phenomenon called wired and tired, where people might have still got the same amount of sleep. Many people said, you know, I was still clocking up the, the seven hours that I normally got, but I was just feeling so fatigued. And one of the reasons we're thinking is because that blue light exposure shrunk those restorative phases of the sleep cycle that helps us wake up feeling refreshed and invigorated. So there's so many, I think, cascading consequences because of our digital habits um, that we're often not even aware of, um, but can have a really sinister impact. Yes, I love that saying, wide and tired. And that sort of brings me to my next, I suppose, question for you, because I know you're very passionate about that well-being days are not the thing that is going to 
enable your team to recharge and refuel. And I 100% agree with that. A day is not going to do it. You know, I love what you say in that rest and recovery is a responsibility, not a reward. So I'm keen to understand, like, how do we create a culture of that and that it is the responsibility of the employer and the leaders to make sure that, you know, rest and recovery is a responsibility that they ensure that their teams are given the opportunity to have it. I mean, ultimately, you can't make them. People are responsible for doing what they ultimately do. But um, yes, can you just share with us a little bit more about that? Because I think that's really, really important. Yes, and I totally agree. I think token wellbeing days, they're a bit like a Band-Aid solution. They're, you know, I call them a Band-Aid perk. They can be a great circuit breaker and I'm not for a moment saying we shouldn't have them, um, but I'm, I'm suggesting that they're not the, the solution. They're not the long-term sustainable solution. If we really want to optimise people's mental health and wellbeing, if we want to boost productivity, we have to swim further upstream and we have to look at why are people so digitally de- exhausted, digitally depleted, or burnt out and I think the two root causes and the things that we can start to tackle the first one is do we have manageable workloads Um, so many people saying you know it doesn't matter what productivity system I apply it doesn't matter how well I I look after my well-being if I constantly have a, a, a menu of work tasks that I just cannot complete um, then I'm never going to be effective. And that perceived efficacy is really important as a factor for burnout. Um, so I think examining workloads and, and structures, and this is really hard. As knowledge workers, we often don't have very tangible, explicit measures of our output. Unlike a traditional tradesperson who might erect a wall and you've got very clear, tangible evidence of what they've accomplished in in a day or an hour we don't have those productivity in markers as such in a knowledge-based world so I think we need to have really explicit conversations about the component parts of a task or a project and and really clearly map that out the second thing that I think is happening is that we have developed and through accident I think many of us you know took our laptops home when we were forced into lockdowns and we were trying to work out on the go or on the fly about how we make hybrid work work and what I think has happened is we've adopted some unsustainable and some unhealthy digital habits norms and behaviors I had a a client just recently telling me that they they were having a team huddle at 9 p.m on a, a Thursday night because that was the only time they could coordinate diaries and these are habits that are just not um, sustainable. So I think, again, looking at what sort of digital practices, norms and behaviours are we putting in place that might be harming our, our mental health and also our performance at the same time. And now for a quick break. If you were listening to this podcast, then you understand how important leadership is to your success. And that starts with you. How you lead yourself will impact the performance of your business, your team, and your career. That is why we developed the Role Model Effect program. This program is designed for those who want to sharpen their leadership tools and be a leader that people want to work with. It's seven weeks, a value-packed and laser-focused course spent on crafting your leadership for success. You will walk away with absolute clarity on what you need to do to be a successful leader. The results our participants are achieving speak for themselves. So, if you understand that leadership is the key to your success, contact Julie to find out more at juliehyde.com.au. 
that's interesting around the the 9pm huddle. So while logistically it might work for people who have have children or have other commitments, you know, at night, you know, nine o'clock's the time to connect. But it's, you know, that's really the time that we should be winding down for sleep if we're going to have an ideal, you know, seven to eight hours sleep a night, which is so critical for high performance, for productivity, for mental health, you name it, sleep. Sleep is the thing that fuels so much. Oh, isn't it? And this is a topic I think we've, we teams have got to have some really nuanced conversations in this space because a, a study that was published just a couple of weeks ago by um, Future Forum, um, which is a consortium of, of large organisations looking at future ways of working, commissioned a study and they found that a staggering 93% of people want flexibility around when they work. A smaller proportion, it was, I think it was 76%, I want to get the statistics right, wanted flexibility around where they worked. But overwhelmingly, people want some autonomy over when they work. I think we've all enjoyed the perks of having more flexible work arrangements. And this presents a whole myriad of benefits, you know, opportunity if you've got caregiving responsibilities. Um, I think from my perspective, the opportunity to structure your workday up so that it suits your, your biological peak performance window, which we call your chronotype. Um, there's a whole raft of, of great benefits, but it's also going to present challenges. If we no longer have people walking in the office between nine and five in a fairly predictable linear workday, We've got to come up with work arrangements um, where we can accommodate that flexibility, but we can also ensure that productivity and performance isn't hampered in any way. So I think it's a really interesting juncture where we're at, where those teams that will thrive and organisations will thrive in this digital space will actually tackle those topics without going back to old ways of working, um, but looking for strategies that work. And again, this is where technology can play a brilliant role I'm working with a number of teams at the moment who are actually implementing what we call asynchronous work practices. So instead of that 9 p.m. team huddle, what could have happened if that was a mum that decided she wanted to work late at night because it suited her family arrangements, she could pre-record a video. She could have that video scheduled to be posted on her Slack channel at 8 a.m. the next morning and she could have a, a document there with some key questions that people could respond to at a time that suited them. So that whole meeting could have gone asynchronous rather than being synchronous. So there's ways around it and I think this is where innovative organisations will shine. Oh, yeah, gosh. My God, there's so much in that. Um, <laughs> could go down a rabbit hole with that one, but yes. That percentage of the 93%, because I know there was some really good um, research done by um, Reimagine HR Survey in 2021. At the start of the year, there was a high percentage of people who wanted flexibility around the hours that they worked. In terms of that flexibility, it's not necessarily about where they worked, it's about when they worked. But of course, that enables people to basically work from anywhere as well. So if we change our thinking around output or you know measuring productivity to be around output rather than hours spent in the office, you know, those traditional hours, and that's where I'm actually doing a presentation for um, Business Australia next week, and that's very much around creating alignment with employees now because it's not a one-size-fits-all. People know they can do things differently and, um, you know, save a lot of time on commute 
and um, you know, use that time a whole lot more effectively. So people know they can do it now. So employers that are going to force people back into the office and there, there is absolutely a, a, a space and a place for office, I believe, and people are craving connection, but not five days a week and not necessarily the hours that traditional employers want done. And this is so important in, in terms of retaining employees because I'm even seeing it in my circles. People are leaving their employer because they're not getting the flexibility that they need, which is simply maybe to work from home two days a week or maybe to work earlier and finish earlier, whatever that looks like. People just need to change their paradigm around this. They do. And I think we need employers to um, consider that there's reciprocal benefits. If you are creating more flexibility around when people work, you're not being dogmatic saying these are your work hours or this is your, your roster. And this isn't feasible for all occupations. I acknowledge that. But where there is some autonomy, um, there are, as I said, so many benefits. And one of the key things I've seen with organisations I've had the privilege to work with this year is that when we start to align our work schedule with our biology, when we start to work the way our brain and body as humans and then as a unique individual is, is, you know, our biological blueprint, when we start to work in alignment and in congruence with that, our productivity increases, our well-being is looked after because we are basically swimming downstream rather than pushing a boulder up a hill and working against the way our brains are designed. So I think it's just so important and there will be incredible benefits for organisations that see the merits in that flexibility. Yeah, and I think like you said, you know, those organisations who are, you know, forward thinking and on the front foot with this are seeing those benefits and there are a lot of statistics around that are really proving that, particularly like you say, um, according to your prototype, when you best work, it just makes so much sense just to allow people to, to do their best work at the time that is enabling them to do that. And and studies tell us that even just, so a a study by McKinsey and Co had participants, um, they roughly estimated that executives were spending about 5% of their working week in their peak performance hours. So they were getting their most important work done when their energy or their chronotype was at its peak. They increased that just to 20%. So said, could you roughly have one full day in total per week where you are working in alignment with your chronotype? What resulted was a staggering 50% improvement in productivity by just shifting when they were doing particular tasks. So there's a big reward on investment. But that requires, you know, a revision of when are we scheduling our meetings? You know, if our meetings are happening when most of our team, let's say our, our team tend to be middle birds, so their energy peaks in the middle of the day, we would be really good to have a blockout period for that middle period of the day where team meetings don't take place. We, we push them to the parameters of, of the day so we're not eating into those peak performance hours. Mm. Yeah, I love it. That makes so much sense, which leads me to my next question around, like I know you've shared um, incredible tips already, but are there any specific tips that you can share with employers and with leaders right now to really support the mental well-being of their team as we sort of launch into 2022 and, you know, encourage people to think differently in this space so that they can retain and attract top talent to their organisation because it's, it's pretty tough at the moment. Yes. And I think it will get worse. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. 
my number one uh, skill or, or approach that I think organizations really need to consider, and I'm so pleased to see some organizations really embedding this already, is to establish what I call your digital guardrails. So we need organizations to clearly articulate. This cannot be assumed or implied. We need to clearly articulate what are the norms, practices, and behaviors around communication tools. How responsive do you need to be to emails um, internally and externally? How are we going to use Teams or Slack? Um, have you got an, a, a communication escalation plan? So when a critical incident occurs and it does warrant an urgent reply, how will that be communicated to you? So one of the reasons people say they can't switch off is because they worry they'll miss something really important or, or they'll be um, out of the loop. And so we've got clearly um, articulated parameters around how we'll do that. You know, even something as simple as your virtual meeting default time, um, knowing what we know about how the brain finds virtual meetings cognitively depleting, can we actually just articulate what the rules are? And I think for, for hybrid work to work, we need to clearly um, identify those digital guardrails because my concern is that if organisations aren't going to articulate these, I think we will see, soon see legislation, and we've seen it in Portugal recently, um, the Victorian Police Force have got some regulation around this. We will see, I think, legislation actually prescribing the right to disconnect. Um, so I really encourage organisations to take the first step and actually clearly put in place the, and, and this has to be co-constructed. This is not a, an executive decision or a document or a policy. It's something that teams have to co-construct. So there's clear parameters um, around our use of digital. The next thing, and I touched on this before, and I'm so glad you said what you said about having, focusing on outcomes, not hours. We've got to have manageable workloads. We've got to critically assess what it is we're expecting, particularly knowledge workers to accomplish. Um, and again, delineate what a, a finished project or a finished task actually looks like. Um, and I think, again, as knowledge workers, this is hard to do. Um, and especially we've almost adopted this outdated industrialized model of productivity where time on task or time working equated to your productivity. And that's not the case um, for knowledge workers. And I think if we start to acknowledge that, that we, we ditch that hours and shift more to an outcomes-based task, what I think that will do is lead to the third thing that I really think organisations need to focus on, and that is building a culture of rest and recovery. Um, a brilliant book by John Fitch um, called Time Off talks about how we have to have a work and a rest ethic. You cannot inhale if you don't exhale. And you can't ever be fully on if you're never fully off. And I think we need to build, um, we need to promote um, workplace cultures that celebrate and talk about rest and recovery as something that is essential. And I think this can start at the top. We need leaders sharing what they did on the weekend or talking about how they took their two weeks of annual leave um, and, you know, not checking their inboxes constantly. Um, you know, it's really hard when you know your leaders on their annual leave, but they're still firing off emails or replying to your emails. And it creates, because of the way we are as humans, we have mirror neurons and we're wired to be part of a group. We imitate those behaviours. So I really think creating a culture that reveres rather than fears rest is something that is just so important. Yes, absolutely. I think that is my favourite tip. 
those three. And you're right, leaders really need to role model that because um, it does create a level of expectation when leaders are emailing, you know, late at night, early in the morning, whatever that looks like. It's like, oh, well, my boss is doing that. I need to do that too. And it's something I actually really admire my husband for because when he's on holidays, he's on holidays. He's a, you know, senior leader in an organization, but he switches off. That's like it. Won't answer the phone, won't look at his emails. And I'm like, my God, how can you do that? But um, it's just the habit that he's got in. But also his leaders know that he's on leave. And so they don't try and impact on his time when when he's away. So, yeah, it's really interesting. There's a lot of give and take there, but I think, you know, going back to what you said about the digital guardrails, it's also um, establishing boundaries too. It's like it's not okay. It's not. It's just not okay to do that in terms of a behavioural sense or from expectation-wise mm. as well. Yes, and I, I think it's these open conversations that we're having is so, so important um, mm. and clearly um, when you were talking before about having um, leaders model this and having your husband being able to switch off because he'd clearly communicated in advance that he was taking his leave. Yeah. Something I think as part of these digital guardrails is um, people saying that when you do take your annual leave or when it's a sick day, this is the, the out-of-office reply that you can put in place. Or some organisations, particularly in Europe, have actually created um, systems. So when your annual leave, your rostered annual leave takes place, your email access is prohibited and any emails that come to you during your annual leave days are automatically bounced back with a reply that you script. So one of the problems that many people say, you know, I just keep checking on holidays because I don't want to come back on day one after my holiday and deal with the 629 emails that yeah. they then sit in my inbox. Yeah. So I think it's, again, diving deeper into looking at what structures and parameters can we put in place so that people actually can have that full psychological rest. Um, your husband obviously enjoys the benefits of doing. Yeah, totally, totally. And I bet you do too. Like, and we know this, you know, interpersonal relationships are so adversely impacted by our use of technology because we can be here but somewhere else, here but there, Um, connected but disconnected. Yes. Um, So, yeah, it's that double-edged sword. 100%. It really, when you do disconnect, it really enables you to be present in that moment, which is so important, you say, for relationships and just for like your presence of mind, your your mental well-being. It's just, it's a joy actually (laughs) to experience. And it doesn't always have to, I often say to people, we, we, we tackle burnout with three types of breaks. I think the first type are micro breaks. So yeah. you cannot wait to your annual leave to say, I'll just rest and recover then, or I'll rest and recover at the end of the big launch or the end of the project or the deliverable. Mm. You have to factor in micro, micro breaks every day, yeah. you know, frequently throughout the day. The next type of break you need is a meso break. So again, a longer stretch, at least a couple of hours where you are fully unplugged and disconnected. Yeah. And then also having in those macro breaks as well. And I think Mm. when you get those three, you're much more likely to tackle burnout as opposed to just, and that's why I I question, we circle back to the beginning of our conversation, the token one-off wellbeing days. Yeah. They're not going to be the remedy um, to this problem. 
it's, I think, more of an embedded cultural shift we need to see taking place. Yes, totally. So when you're talking about the breaks, like the you know the macro breaks and micro breaks, is that about just stepping away and being totally disconnected from technology, meaning nothing in your ears, yep. not talking, not um, listening to podcasts as well? Would that be what you mean? Generally, yes. Yeah. So um, and I'm, I'm the first to admit, you know, sometimes my rest is binge watching really trashy episodes of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> Please don't judge me. Um, so you've got to choose your poison. But generally speaking, I say there's some components and research backs this up. There's some components of a good quality break. The first one is that you do something that is restorative. Right. For most people, Checking social media, checking a news site, checking your emails is not restorative. Yeah. So please don't take a break and say, I'll just sit in the sun and do that. Yeah. We've got to do something that's restorative. Mm. Um, the next thing we need to have, your break, particularly these micro breaks, should have some exposure to natural sunlight. Research tells us that just 40 seconds in natural sunlight will lower our cortisol levels wow. in, in nature. Yeah. Yep. Getting outside, can you walk to the letterbox? Can you stand on your balcony? Can you find the one window in the house where the stream sun streams in and stand there yeah um the next component is movement we know some sort of physical movement will make a whole lot of neurochemicals like yes. endocannabinoids and serotonin and dopamine that will help you feel good and, and focus and have a restorative effect yeah um you need as i mentioned before nature if you can some green time yeah. to compensate for your screen time you should have some autonomy so there should be some choice over what you're doing in your break so you are are choosing and, and feeling like you've got some locus of control. And the last thing is connection. We yeah. know um, we as humans are designed to to connect. So mm. whether that's a phone conversation with somebody, a, a chat to the dog, um, yeah. <laughs> whatever you can do to connect, they're really the ingredients of a good break. Love it. Restorative rather than depletive. Perfect yeah. tips. What a great note to end on, Dr. Christie. Thank you so oh, much. Pleasure. And I encourage you to really um, link in with um, Dr. Christy. She shares incredible insights, particularly on her um, LinkedIn. And also there's amazing resources on her website and also get her in and do some education within your workplaces as well. You certainly will not regret it and I cannot recommend her highly enough. So thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure. Always good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening and I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.